You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, Asbury. And how, are, how are the new chapel perspectives feeling? Visionaries, does it feel different to see chapel over here? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. What about appointed? How's it feeling? Over here. And faithful, you made it to the main floor. Congratulations. Look surrendered at everything you have to look forward to. As you look upon, as you look down upon us. Well, good morning. Uh, a big shout out to the Kresge Second Mid. I'm a proud lifetime member. And also a big shout out to my husband's lifetime membership of Trustees Third Nerd. So those are the, the Baldwin, the Baldwin connections. So. Well, good morning. Today we are talking about life together and what does it mean to be the people of God together at Asbury. We're going to be in John chapter 10, not chapter 1, chapter 10. Uh, And so you can read this with me as we read together. Is it coming? John chapter 10. Okay. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So, Lord Jesus, we are your people. This is your word. It is true and it can be trusted. So we ask, Jesus, that you would speak deeply to us today about what it means to be sharing life together and what it means to experience community in Christ. In your name, amen. So a few years ago, uh, Clint and I and our kids were all getting ready to go to a student retreat. And at this time in our lives, we had a giant boat of a car. So Clint's grandpa, Merv, had given us, passed this car on to us, and it was as big as a boat. And we affectionately called it the Merv Mobile. Well, the Merv Mobile, his grandpa Merv, get it? The Merv Mobile. So the Merv Mobile had this trunk in it that I kid you not, I think it could fit four human beings in it, which we did not try. But I think it could have fit four human beings in it. 
And so on this morning, we're getting ready to go to this retreat, and we open up this enormous trunk, and I'm putting in our entire household into this trunk because it was, you know, it was three days long. We had the whole family. It's like sleeping bags and pillows and swim gear and all the camping stuff and the sleeping pads and the games, and I just keep stuffing everything into this giant trunk. Well, I'm busy, right? And so I leave the trunk open. I'm going in and out of the house. I'm doing other things. I'm getting ready. It takes us a while to leave. So finally, that trunk is stuffed full. We slam down the lid. We get into the car. We take off. We're down the road a little bit. And I'm like, there's a really strange smell. And Clint's like, yeah, there's a really bad smell. Like, this is a sign of something really bad. So we roll down the windows because you know what you first do when you have a bad smell. You're like, it must be out of the car. <laughs> so you roll down the windows, check in the air. Oh, no, the air smells good. What's going on? The car is smelling worse. In fact, it's beginning to smell like it's burning. Like we're starting to get nervous. We're checking the gauges. Is something overheating? Is there a fan? Is there one of those fan belts melting? What's going on? But it's getting more intense. And the smell of burning is totally filling up our vehicle. So we pull over, we stop, we get out, we're looking around the car like, what's going on? And we start to see like smoke coming out of the trunk. We're like, this is a really bad sign, open up the trunk. And we're starting to pull everything out. And sure enough, there's like waves and plumes of smoke rolling out. We're like, the car is on fire. Murph Mobile is on fire. So on the side of the road, we're like, okay, sleeping bags, pillows, all the stuff. Go, 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 we're getting it out. And sure enough, we discover the root of the problem. There had been a pillow or a cushion or a blanket, I think it was a pillow, that had been smushed back and up. And when that trunk stood open for so long, it had one of those, it was such an old vehicle, it had one of those old, just a regular old light bulb, like a light bulb you'd have like in your house, in your lamp. And there was this light bulb in the trunk and the pillow had started smoldering and was blackened and there was smoke coming out of it. It's a really good sign, right, that we had the signs of smoke and we had the signs of the smell so that we could know that something bad was going on, that we could get out of the vehicle. So, you know, here at Asbury, we try to give you lots of signs to let you know, like we, Registrar's office sends you emails like, it's really, really important that you know when drop ad ends. Your professors put the stuff in the syllabus and they say it's really, really important that you read your syllabus and some of you do not. And then you're in the middle of the semester and you're like, well, I didn't know this or that. And your professor says, it was in the syllabus. You didn't read the sign. Your RD tries to get your attention with signs. Signs are important. They try to get our attention. So perhaps you have seen some of these signs around the internet. This is a friend of mine, Amy Wolf. She and I lived in Newburgh, Oregon together, and she's the founder of Don't Give Up Signs. So Amy, living in Newburgh, Oregon, sitting on her couch one day, overcome with the reality of that community and the suicide rate. She was overcome with it, and she said, I have to do something. So she and her husband ordered, printed for themselves some signs that said, don't give up. It's not too late. Your mistakes don't define you. 
And they and their two little preschool daughters, under cover of darkness one night, went around the town of Newburgh, and they set these signs up at pivotal places. And they, of course, they asked some people to use them in their yards. They put them at intersections. And in the morning, the Newburgh community traveled around. Your mistakes do not define you. You are worthy of love. There was no... There was no connection. It didn't say who put them there. It was just these signs, don't give up. Well, it became such a movement, and people started to knock on the doors of the houses where people put those signs, and they would tell the story of people showing up and saying, I saw your sign in your lawn, and it said, you are worthy of love, and I've been feeling totally worthless all week. I've been wondering if life really was worth living. And I saw this sign and I wanted to come to your door and ask you, is this true? Am I worthy of love? Well, this became such a movement that now uh, these signs have been in all 50 states in 26 countries and five languages. Amy had a dream and a vision and a movement. She knew that sometimes or all of the time when people are in crisis, they need a sign. Well, sometimes signs are obvious and sometimes signs are not. Signs might take the form of things that don't really make sense to everyone, <laughs> but are still vitally important. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> so y'all better read the signs if you know what I mean. I don't know about you right now, or I don't know if you live in Trustees or Johnson, but I do know that the world really needs signs of hope right now, that we know that all around us and affecting many of your lives, but certainly globally, in the midst of all the devastation and violence and suffering that the world desperately needs signs, that there is love out there, there is hope out there, that there is a different way to live, that the kingdom of God is present with us, that the enemy and evil has not won and will not win in the end. The world needs signs, needs prophetic witnesses that God is on the move. Here's another way to say it. Jesus showed up saying, I am. I am the vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus was a walking signpost. He was a walking prophetic witness that the kingdom of heaven was here and yet not fully here. So uh, 70 years ago, in the midst of some of the darkest times in human history, there was another person who was a sign of light and the presence of God. On April 9, 1945, at dawn, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, age 39, was executed by hanging by the Nazi regime. This is just two weeks before United States soldiers would come and liberate the very concentration camp that he was in. That morning, he, along with several of his friends, were stripped naked, tortured, and hung. This man, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a spy. He was an anti 
Nazi dissident. He was a resistor. He was connected to the conspiracy plot on Adolf Hitler's life. He was considered an enemy of the state. This man was considered so dangerous by the Nazis that early in his career, he was banned from speaking publicly. When his voice was on air, it was shut down immediately. His activities were constantly monitored. His publications were ceased. Now, as a named enemy of the Nazi state, you may expect that he was someone well-trained in espionage because he was a spy, but not well-trained. Or maybe you would expect he came from an influential family that had money that could be used to navigate against the regime. Or perhaps he had big connections with the Americans or the British military. Or perhaps you'd expect him that he was a political figure with lots of influence. Well, what we know that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was was a pastor, a theologian, a teacher, a writer, a nonviolence advocate, a follower of Christ in one of the darkest times of human history. A Christian with such deep faith and sacrificial action that he became a significant threat to the power of evil. He was on evil's hit list. <laughs> he was a threat to Adolf Hitler as a teacher, a professor, a pastor. As a theologian and a teacher, shortly in the, in the late 1930s, Bonhoeffer taught at an underground seminary in Germany. So he gathered with the help of some of his friends, he gathered a group of pastors in training that went to a secret estate in a village. And there together, they learned the scripture, and they learned theology, and they learned what it meant to be pastors underground and secretly. The Gestapo was after them. They were doing this under threat of their lives. And when the Gestapo found, they found them, they came and closed the seminary, and they arrested 27 pastors for participating. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer he was not daunted. He became a seminary on the run. He went from village to village, training and teaching pastors underground who were working illegally. In 1943 is when he himself would be arrested. It was during the time of the seminary, when he was teaching underground and on the run, that he crafted a manual about how to live as Christians and Christian community. He crafted a manual called Life Together, the classic exploration of Christian community. So if you remember, here is this pastor, theologian, spy, advocate for peace, working valiantly against the regime. And these, these pastors in training are risking their lives to be in community. I wonder what could possibly be in the handbook that you would write to people who are studying in threat of their lives. What possibly would you put to tell them to prepare them for the very possible reality that they will be tortured and killed for what they are doing? How possibly could you prepare a group of people to come against the powers of Nazism? Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book in the midst of living with people who are being hunted down. And this is what he said. 
This is what he said, when you are being hunted down, those are my words, he didn't say hunted down. When you are in Christian community, do you know what, do you know what I want you to do, people? He said, I want you to have real, honest, authentic relationships with each other. He said, I want you to spend as much time together as possible. I want you to eat together, celebrate together, worship together, enjoy life. I want you to work hard, be about the task, the study, the work, the common life you are given. I want you every day to read scripture together. Start in the Psalms, he said, because the Psalms is what teaches you how to pray, and you will need to know how to pray. He said, listen to one another. He said, put up with each other. What he said was, bear with one another. <laughs> Do not be someone who is easily offended. Do not be someone that has to say everything that you think. Be slow to offend. Hold each other to do what is right. Serve sacrificially. And then the big one that he emphasized, practice confession. He said, this is the breakthrough to community, is the practice of confession. Do you know what's crazy? <laughs> when a community of people practices the things of God together, they become a threat. They become a threat to the powers of evil and sin. There is something about Christians living in community, sharing faith in common that terrifies evil. It terrifies evil so much that Bonhoeffer becomes public enemy of the state. <laughs> Jesus gave us words about what it means to be in Christian community as well. I read them a few minutes ago. He talked about what it means to be a sheep in a fold. He talked about the reality that there are thieves and bandits and wolves that are after your lives and after your soul. And so he said, come, the sheep know my voice. He said, the Christian community is characterized by a group of people who recognize the voice of Jesus together, who experience intimacy with God together. And it's within that space that this abundant life is available to you. When people who are seeking God, listening to the voice of Jesus, come inside the fence, who go through the gate. You know, kind of sounds very similar to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer was talking about. How do we cultivate and create a community of life together? How do we put our shoulder to this work? Well, this, students, is what we are striving to put our shoulder to at Asbury University. That we believe that creating a community that celebrates intimacy with Jesus and that comes inside the fence together around the things of God, experiencing the abundancy of God and the good life in Jesus are the things that we want this community to be defined by. And let me tell you, I'm as earnest about it. 
I'm as earnest about this for you and your preparation as perhaps for those pastors in training in the underground seminary who knew what was up against them. There is a lot of things up against you. <laughs> there is wolves and bandits and thieves. And I'm not someone that lives in fear of that or thinks we need to live in fear of it. But I am about living intentionally and purposefully around the things of God. Because that is what prepares us to be the kind of prophetic witnesses we're called to be in the world. So as part of Jesus' teaching, he talks about this idea of the fence. He talks about coming inside the fence. So I want to talk about what's inside the fence for us at Asbury University. What's the good life in God at Asbury? Some of the things we talk about here our spiritual safety, that we get to listen to God together. We get to discern scripture together within this community. In this community, we have spiritual nourishment and care, scripture and worship, your deepest story held sacred in the story of God. In this community, we seek to know God and to be known by others. We seek intimacy with the Holy Spirit and that the fruits of the Spirit will be evident in our lives. We practice real relationships and that is hard. It is hard work. These relationships are defined by celebration, trust, accountability, and yes, confession. We also have parameters and fences here that help keep as many of the bandits and wolves and thieves at bay. Things that we know could steal our joy and even our souls. So these are the big things that we're about. Things like being a thriving community. Things like being a purposeful, surrendered community. Things like being holistic and honoring and holy. It seems like, though, most of the time we start talking about being this kind of community, we kind of like major on the minors, right? People ask me all the time, you know, like, why can't we drink alcohol off campus? Why does God care about shorts? Why do I have to be in? I had a few years ago, I had a student write me a very long essay on why God did not care about her shorts. And it was true, I don't think God cares about her shorts. Because that is not what we're setting our community about. There are things that we think are tipping points, or perhaps more than tipping points, that are helpful fences that help us experience the good life together. One thing that we do talk a lot about here is that we don't, or actually I don't know if we talk a lot about it, but maybe you all talk a lot about it, and I want to talk about it. Uh, we aren't a community where our undergraduates participate in drinking alcohol, even after age 21, on or off campus, over summers, over Christmas break, over spring break. Why are we doing this? Do we want you not to have fun? <laughs> we actually know, we know statistically, from the 18 to 25 age group across the nation, <laughs> we know statistically that alcohol does not give you the good life. We know actually it steals the good life. We know that alcohol creates the opportunity for more physical and sexual assaults, poor academics, accidents, fatalities, mistakes, and regrets. So when we take alcohol off the table, when we take it out of the equation, that means 
that you have much more possibility to experience the good life, the abundant life that this place has to offer. We want to do everything possible to curate a community that celebrates life together. Where you sit in chapel matters. I know it's kind of old fashioned to have an assigned chapel seat. <laughs> but you know, it's a little bit of a tipping point because when you're gone from your chapel seat, no one else sits in it, ideally folks. No one else sits in it. <laughs> you are missing from the community. You are absent because you matter. You yourself matters. You're part of something. You're part of showing up together, living life together. So those are little things that help us get at the big things. We want to be a community that reflects the kingdom of heaven and cultivates abundant life. And I wonder, could a community like Asbury that values these things around Christian community, could it actually be prophetic in the world? Could this community be a sign to other people, a sign the world so desperately needs that there is a crazy group of people who live together and worship together, who actually confess to one another, who hold each other accountable, who choose things. That is, they, they lay down their personal preferences to be part of something that actually seeks to cultivate the fruits of the Holy Spirit together. Do you know what that kind of living is? It's a threat to evil. It's a threat to the enemy. It's the power of the kingdom of God, a prophetic witness. In 1942, one of our famous alums, E. Stanley Jones, a missionary teacher, friend of Gandhi, international statesperson, he stood here in the pulpit in 1942 and he preached a sermon to students here. And he talked about this idea of the Asbury movement and it's caught my mind and creativity. He talked about the Asbury movement, a place where Asbury puts the stamp of God on your heart. But deeper, deeper is the image of Jesus on you, that we could go from this place and be interpreters of Christ to the world. He said, it is a great heritage. I commission you to carry it out in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He believed in two different ideas. He talked about in this sermon about experience and expression of being two hallmarks of the Wesleyan holiness tradition. He talked about that when we experience God and the expression of these and that experience is the two heartbeats of the Asbury movement. This remains true. What we are about here starts and ends in the power of the Holy Spirit, starts and ends in the person of Jesus Christ, starts and ends at the foot of the cross. God is at work here calling us to be something so much bigger than ourselves. You know, it is worth it. It's worth it, students, to be all in. It's worth it to call out of each other the fruits of the Spirit. It's worth it to choose behaviors that help everyone flourish. It's worth it to show up. It's worth it to be an Asbarian, 100% wholehearted, because this Asbury movement is something bigger than us. And it can be a prophetic witness to the world. So what are you being prepared for by this community? In 1943, 
two students sat here in this chapel. They sat here and graduated that May. They sat here and graduated just a month after their contemporary Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hung across the ocean. I wonder what it would have been like to be a student in the middle of World War II in that darkest time of human history. I don't have to wonder too much because this is also a challenging, hard time. There were two students that sat here in 1943. Eventually, Dennis and Elsie Kinlaw would marry and serve this community for many years. Dennis Kinlaw would serve as the president of Asbury for almost 20 years. Their lives would shape the students' experience. They heard E. Stanley Jones call them to this kind of experience and expression movement. They represent many others, thousands even, who've been called to this movement, who have participated in life together for the sake of being a prophetic witness. This is a very challenging time on the globe. According to the United Nations, 70.8 million people have been forcibly displaced from their home. As of that, 26 million are classified as refugees, half of that children. It matters, you all. It matters big time what you're being prepared to do in this world. It matters that right now around the world there is travesty and horror. And that we have this season to invest in and be all in that the stamp of Christ can be on our image. And we believe, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer believed in his crazy ideas, amazing ideas, that these practices of worship and celebration and confession and prayer and study and hard work were the very things to prepare you for the future. Asbury, we are commissioned to be a city on a hill, a lamp on the stand. This is what a Christian community can be in the power of the Holy Spirit. The world has never needed it more than it does now that this community can be the light of Christ in the world. One of my favorite authors, Hannah Whitehall Smith, <clears throat> a Quaker pastor from the, 19, from the 1800s, she says, God wants to give you the kingdom more than you want to have it. God wants to give you the abundant life, the eternal life, the life of spiritual safety, the life of nourishment, the life of goodness and grace. And for this season, it's here. It's here in this life together. It's here at Asbury University. I want Asbury to put its stamp on you. But more than that, I want Christ to put his image upon you. It's worth it. You're invited into an incredible community, preparing you for the glorious and good and challenging and hard and beautiful things God has for you. So Jesus, we pray. We're, thank we just are so thankful, God, for the people that have gone before us, for Dietrich Bonhoeffer, for Corey Tenboom, for Anne Frank, for the many, many heroes of the faith that have shown us um, their light that you have spoken through them in ways that uh, humanly was not possible, but the power of your Holy Spirit came. And we're thankful for the alums of Asbury, the many, many alums who live and have lived as prophetic witnesses of your truth in the world. And Jesus, we ask that you would do something with us as a community, 
that we would become the city on the hill. I think we are already, so we, we continue to do that, Jesus. That we would be the witness, the prophetic witness in the world that you have not abandoned the world. That there is hope, that there is life, that there is truth, that the enemy has not won, that evil does not have the final word, that the kingdom of heaven is here with us now. So Jesus, would you help us to be fully present to that kind of life together? Do a work in our hearts, Jesus, that we may be these people.